0: Welcome to the Nigel Lee Archive, brought to you by Living Leadership, where every fortnight we share with you a sermon from the late Nigel Lee to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Here's today's message.
1: Morning, everybody. Good to see you. Hope you like um, Christmas decorations, fresh from the, um, the dairy, I think. They've, they've the stamped out bottle tops. So we're all in a sort of um, semi-skimmed and
0: pasteurized kind of atmosphere.
1: As some of you know, I was recently in uh, Pakistan and uh, Nepal. Spent uh, uh, between two and three weeks out there. One a Muslim country, and one a Hindu country. And you've probably seen on television at times the mass ranks of
0: uh, Muslims praying. All lined up. All... Standing with their hands like this, and then to their
1: knees, and then putting their head on the ground, all in unison, with um, almost military precision. It is a, a remarkable sight. Uh, I shall uh, not forget for a long time, on the way home, being in Abu Dhabi Airport, and walking near the um, the prayer room, which there is in all these uh, Middle Eastern airports, and seeing four magnificent
0: um, hawks, or or falcons, each with a jeweled leather cap over their heads, parked on luggage or airport waste bins while their owners
1: were in the prayer room, praying with others, and these, these hawks were sort of standing there in, in the darkness, looking around, and they looked they fearsome creatures. And I sat there very amused, if I would had a camera I'd probably have taken a picture, as um, their owners shake.
0: Um, very uh, well-to-do Middle Eastern backgrounds, were lined up with many people praying. Muslims will often say their prayers um, in unison like that. Hundreds,
1: thousands. I mean, I've been in Karachi and Multan and Lahore and uh, seen this again and again, day after day. Sometimes in a big mosque like in Lahore, you can get thousands of men praying together. Hindus, on the other hand, will tend to pray Individually, often alone, making their offerings of fruit and flower petals and ringing a bell to attract the attention of
0: of the gods. If you were to ask a Hindu or a Muslim, do you know God personally? They would be surprised
1: by the question. In fact, many Muslims, um, to whom I have and with whom I've I've talked over these things, um, might even consider the question blasphemous. They know respect for God, undoubtedly. Uh, They would have a desire to please God, in many cases, certainly. But knowing him personally, they wouldn't believe that it was possible, and would deny uh, to you that it was absolutely possible. Just over um, around about two weeks ago, I was in in Multan, in the middle of Pakistan, and I had been taken out in the evening um, to look at a monument to two men... um, one called Agnew, one called Anderson, who had been murdered at the start of the last uh, Punjab war in 1848. These men had been done to death, and I was standing there with my niece sort of gazing at this monument as it was beginning to get dark, and two young Muslim students came and um, uh, tried to uh, engage us in conversation, and they wanted um, both of them uh, probably to have a work on their English, but certainly to press upon me uh, the wonders of Islam, and uh, they asked me, are you a Christian? And uh, I began to say, well, there's two kinds of Christians, you, you, you realise that. There's, there are Christians who, um, are Christian on the outside maybe, they have the label, they would call themselves Christians, they would sign that on some form if they were going to hospital or something like that. Um, but there's another kind of Christian, um, where being a Christian is much more a real thing inside. Oh yes, they said, we, we understand that, we recognise that very well. Uh, we
0: get, um, well. We get exactly the same with Islam. But in all their spreading out for me, the wonders of what it was to be a Muslim,
1: not once did they even
0: suggest
1: that it was possible through
0: Muhammad or through Islam to know um, God person. And the, the, the contrast was quite striking. I
1: want to say, this morning, that this is part of the uniqueness of the Christian faith. The possibility of knowing God personally, it's right at the heart of what it is to be a Christian. Jesus is not just a figure of history, a magnificent example of how to live and how to die. He wasn't just a prophet foretelling some uh, coming kingdom, but a person you could know. And you find Christians saying this from the very earliest days, as someone that you could know and relate to, talk with, hear from, do things with, and so on. You can actually know him personally. In our own country, back you know thousands of miles back now um, from the Middle East, back uh, back in Britain, you will find in all the surveys that have been done over recent years about people's beliefs and uh, what they think about God and life and future and so on. Um, the number that would say they believed in God, or would like to believe that there is a God, or suspect that there is a God out there somewhere, that number for years now has not really varied. It's about 65-70% of the entire population will say, yes, that is the basic assumption that they, they make. And yet, if you ask folk whether they know God personally in this country, although so many will say, the vast majority will say that they, they believe there is a God out there somewhere, Do you feel that you know him? Is it it a personal thing that you have with God? No, they would um, say God is probably out there, but I don't personally actually um, know him. Now this accords exactly, this statistical finding that we make in our country, it, it accords exactly with what the Bible explains to us. It is possible to know a great number of things about God just by walking around intelligently with your eyes open and looking at the created world. Very few among us, probably, have not sensed at times when you're looking at a, a beautiful scene, one of those times that just grabs you. Have we not sensed that there is a God of beauty and order who has painted this picture? Painted it, but left it unsigned, perhaps. But how else could it have come into being? Or there are times when we glimpse the awesome power Of a creator god, when perhaps we look at a storm raging on the sea, or or the the wind blowing, or a hurricane, or whatever, or uh, nothing so huge and terrifying, just take a little newborn baby in your hand, a tiny little
0: baby, something like 60 trillion cells in that little baby, each one containing more information than would fill the entire shelves of a university library. Is there not
1: a, a God, we, we think sometimes? Or we don't even look at the world around us and sense that there is perhaps a God. It requires that sort of an explanation. We look inside ourselves, into our own consciences, our sense of our own moral failure. And our conscience can tell us of, of guilt and of wrongdoing, of of lies, of broken promises, of disappointments, of hurts in the way other people have perhaps uh, treated us, or the destructive anger that we can feel in response to the things that have happened in our lives. And we feel that there is a God that we ought to answer to, but we don't know how. These things are very, very common um, in our society. Through creation and through our consciences we can sense something about God. But so can Muslims and Hindus and anyone else. The uniqueness of Christianity is that it goes the major step further that we need to make God personally known. I'd like to read you another little passage from um, the Gospel of John that uh, Kim read from earlier on. It comes from the 14th chapter. Um, don't, Don't worry if you haven't got a Bible or don't turn to it. I'll just read it from a simple modern English translation. Jesus at this point has just said, uh, as he's coming to the end of those three years of public work, 30 years private as a carpenter, three years of public work, and he has said within the last day or two of that, told the disciples that he's going to leave. He's going to go away to heaven, and he says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas, one of the disciples, said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, this is such a well-known line or two from the New Testament. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on you do know him and have seen him. And then Philip, one of the other disciples, said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And you can imagine at this point Jesus almost rolling his eyes, thinking, How long is it going to take these guys? I've been three years. Jesus said, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been
0: among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Don't you
1: believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? I want to say three things and then wrap up. Number one, this is why Christ came, so that we could know God personally. This is exactly what he's saying in this passage. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well, he says there in verse 7. He said, anyone who has seen me has seen God. I am God. The Father and I are one. If You've seen me, you've seen God. Uh, how can you say, Philip, show us the Father? I am in the Father and the Father in me, there in verse 10. This is the breathtaking claim that we think again at Christmas time, think again about. it. That God actually came in Christ so that we might know what God is like. God wants us to know him so badly that he came as a human being. Jesus is the unique disclosure of God's character and personality and ways and so on. This explains the uniqueness of his teaching. Never been surpassed. Never has Christ's teaching got the feeling of it somehow being dead and and passé and not relevant and doesn't touch us. Unique. It explains why he was so powerful.
0: The things that Christ did, raising the dead, healing the sick, walking on water, can only be explained by what he's
1: saying about himself being true. That he was, in fact, God come that we might know God. It explains his worldwide impact. When the Christian church began, the ratio of Christians to non-Christians was thousands and thousands and thousands to one. And yet now something over 50% of the world's population would say, whatever they mean by it, that they are in some sense uh, Christians. This is what Jesus was explaining over and over again to his disciples. And they were Jews, they were stubbornly resistant to this sort of a notion that God could come. But it is the the, uh, great central miracle of the Christian faith. God has come into a world of of pain and injustice and misery and to move amongst the people who cause all that to start changing them from the inside, one after another, little by little, with their willingness and and their
0: cooperation. When this dawned on the disciples, this is what made all the difference to them. Jesus is God. I came across recently... a. A story um, from a long time ago, um,
1: from the last century actually. Uh, There's a cathedral in the the German city of Freiburg. Um, Beautiful, magnificent Gothic cathedral down in that Black Forest area. And in the 19th century, there was a crusty old organist. You know how musicians can sort of go that way sometimes. Uh, They get rather, you know, keen on their own abilities and not very keen on anyone else coming along and uh, learning. And there was this organist Um, who was practising and playing on the organ in Freiburg Cathedral. And a young man came and uh, asked very gently and quietly,
0: could he have a go? Certainly not, said the organist. In German. (laughs) Go away.
1: And this young man sat down a few pews away and sort of listened for a while. And
0: then he came and asked the old man again, could he perhaps have a go? And he got sent away again with a Germanic flea in his ear. Finally, he asked
1: a third time, would it be possible, please, for him to have a go on this organ? And the old boy eventually slid along the organ stool and let him. And this young man sat down and began to play, and the most astonishing music began to float up into the ceiling. He
0: could play. And the organist asked him after a little while, who are you? Mendelssohn, he said. (laughs) The
1: ultimate Master. And uh, the old man was, was humble enough to say,
0: I nearly missed him. You know, I, it would have been so easy for me not to hear him, not to recognize him, if
1: I had just kept on instinctively uh, turning him down. So this is my first point. Jesus, the Jesus of the New Testament, the one we've been singing about, reading about this one, he came so that you can know God personally. And the second thing I want to say, this is why Jesus died, so that we could know God personally. The simple central problem coming between us and Almighty God, the Creator, the one who knows us and loves us, the thing that causes this barrier to come down between us and Him is simply nothing other than our own sinful
0: selfishness, our stubbornness, our refusal to. Go his way. This is a virus, as it were. That, uh, if I can use an image, that means a lot to me just at the moment. It's
1: a virus that gets into our system and wrecks everything. The Bible will tell me five things about my sin. Number one, it's universal. I am the same as everybody else. Don't be sitting there thinking, well, you know, you can talk this kind of religious language, but uh, I'm above all that. Now, the Bible says we all sin. It's universal. And it isn't just the people that you don't like, the politicians and the one-eyed journalists and the, the traffic wardens and so on. It's you and it's your relatives. It's the people close to you. We're all stained in this way. Number one, sin is, is like that. It's universal. Number two, it affects every part of my being. It affects me socially. I, I become cross. I can get jealous. Uh, it affects me emotionally. I can become one-eyed in the way I, I look upon myself. It affects me spiritually. It deadens my conscience. When God is trying to communicate with me, it is sin that makes me so often so dead inside. And the third thing about sin is it separates me from God. God is holy and I am not. It's as simple as that. It separates. And the fourth thing about sin is that it leads to judgment and ultimate exclusion from God altogether. For many people, approaching the end of their life, if they know that they are doing so, coming towards the end of their life without hope and without peace, is a most terrible thing. One of the most moving stories I've um, read recently concerns those young Polish soldiers in uh, World War II, Operation Market Garden, I think it was called. The Polish paratroop division were ordered to drop behind German lines at a certain place. And as they were floating down out of the drop aircraft, they discovered
0: that the drop zone was fully occupied by enemy troops. You imagine the last moments of the lives of those young men sinking quietly down onto the guns of those that were going to kill them. There was no turning back. There was no possibility of escape. They had jumped and they were going to die before they hit the ground. And for many people,
1: coming to the end of life and going out into eternity to face
0: God, the judge, our creator, can be like that. Absolutely frightening. And there's no turning back. And yet the fifth thing about our sin is that we cannot
1: do anything about it ourselves. We can't cure ourselves. We can't. It's impossible. This is why Christ died. So that we can know God as the one who loves us and wants to rescue us and forgive us and cleanse our our account, if you like, make us new people, make us forgiven and pardoned and acceptable for all eternity. This is why Christ came. Not even just to live and show us what God is like. That would be fine. And for that we're
0: grateful. But to do the one thing we cannot do for ourselves, which is to rescue us from sin and from judgment. Christ died
1: so that we can know what a loving and forgiving God he is
0: personally. Such love you can hardly imagine. And yet that is the truth. Christ died because we are loved.
1: God loves us enough to send his son to the cross for us so that we might come to know something about God that we would never otherwise have known.
0: We know him personally as the one who says, here is a gift of an eternal pardon, eternal life, not deserved, but yours forever if you will receive it. Thirdly, this is why Christ calls us, that we might know God personally. You see, this is what,
1: what he wants. He wants us to turn back to him. This is what we were made for. We are made for relationships. You, you look at the little babies that are regularly arriving in this church.
0: Dozens of them over the years. And you go up to a little baby and, you know, as soon as it sort of started coming regularly, you know, at about three weeks, you look into their faces. Their mum will usually let you. because She's very proud of this you know, thing. It was born slimy and painfully and
1: ugly and horrible. But they get over that very, very quickly. The mothers, I mean. And you look into the face of these little babies and, and almost without fail, if they're awake, if they hadn't been sent to sleep by the preacher,
0: <laughs>
1: you get these little, little smiles and gurgles and raspberries and, and response.
0: From the earliest age, they respond. Relationship matters to them. What's the most important thing, students, in your university career? Degree, I doubt it. Friendships? Bet on it. It's the thing that you keep,
1: you retain, it's what you think about most of the time. You don't worry about physics and French and nuclear knitting and and whatever new... uh, Abstruse things, you know, new ways of teaching children to play with sand and water. You know, you can spend three years studying that. But what actually matters very often is is the friendships. We're made for relationships. It's it's the great truth. Kim was saying it earlier on, is what we believe in this church. And we are designed that way. All of us human beings. This is why when relationships break, when marriages break, it is so painful. And and the pain Lasts a long time, even if the marriage wasn't all that good for a while before it broke. You still think about it every day. There's still pain and hurt and, and, and a kind of a an experience that people talk about a bleeding heart
0: it's because we are made for trust, for, for loyalty, for relationship for, for partnership. It's
1: the way we've been designed. And why are we built that way, all of us, every single one in the room? It's because the ultimate relationship is there for us. We are designed to be related to God. In partnership, in trust, in love, in exchange of, of insight and truth and so on. That's the, the way we're actually made. And the Holy Spirit calls us in his own individual and mysterious way so that we will turn that we will turn back to God from our own way and that we will find forgiveness and pardon and be related to him in the way that we're designed to be let me tell you um, the story of um, someone that um, I was meeting again just recently while out in Nepal, there's a fellow actually he became a good friend of Adrian. this Adrian He's gone out with the kids. Yeah. Um, Chanman, this fellow's name, um, tell you Chanman's story. His brother, a Nepali fellow, was a, was a Christian and was meeting up with a number of of other young Christians in Nepal some years ago. Um, there were a little small group in, in their town or village, and uh, this was at a time of considerable persecution, really, of Christians. It may even have been when it was still illegal to become a Christian in Nepal. They changed that in sort of 1991 with a change to the constitution. But certainly um, you are going to be very unpopular if you became a Christian. And Chandran was a Hindu, but he decided out of the kindness of his heart to take some some cups of tea and maybe a little bit of something to eat uh, to this little group that was meeting in a room
0: somewhere who were all Christians and sort of give it to them, you know, to be kind. Out of the kindness of his Hindu heart. And just at the moment that he arrived with,
1: with the tray, the police arrived to arrest everybody. And he got arrested, and was thrown in prison with all all the rest of them. And uh, he now found himself locked up for being a Christian, which he wasn't. But he was locked into the same jail cell as all these other little group of Christians, five or six of them, his brother and his brother's friends and so on. And um, he he watched them with absolute astonishment as they reacted to this thing that had happened. No fear. Only... um, an almost supernatural sense of of joy and uh, satisfaction and and, uh, just an extraordinary peace and great affection together. You know, sometimes when you put people in a situation like that, they start planning how to betray each other, how to blame the other one, to get off. You you can see it constantly. Every week uh, in the courts of this land where two or three people are accused of the same crime, they immediately fall to accusing each other. Not these guys. And their main concern seemed to be that uh, this fellow tenman should actually become a Christian, like them. And it was for being a Christian, they were in jail anyway, but they were very keen to persuade him to to become one. Anyway, the time came for him to be interrogated, and uh, he was going to face the local chief of police, and um, he was in real turmoil now, because it seemed to him, watching these other guys, that Christ was alive. These people's saviour was real. And he knew that he was going to be asked the question, are you a Christian? And if he said, no, no way, no, there's been a big mistake, I'm a Hindu, he would be out of prison and off
0: just like that. And yet, he sensed the Holy Spirit beginning to draw his heart and show him the reality
1: of all this. And so there came the moment when the um, the local uh, police chief uh, looked at him and said, are you a Christian? And gentleman was absolutely astonished to hear himself saying, "Yes, I think I am." And he said, at that moment, it was as if uh, was a tremendous sense of sort of joy flooded his soul. Um, he knew he'd done the right thing, and he knew that Christ had become his saviour too. At that point, so he began his Christian life in jail, which I suppose is as good a place as any. There's certainly a good long tradition of people uh, beginning there. The Holy Spirit working. But the Holy Spirit looking for an obedient response. This is what the Apostle John said. uh, No, so this is what uh, Paul said in one of his writings. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. So that's how Chunman began. He, he obeyed as he sensed that drawing, calling, going on inside him, which maybe some of you um, have been sensing for a while. Maybe a partner is a Christian. Maybe you've been hearing something from people at work. Maybe you've had that sense of,
0: of God himself starting to say, look, this needs to be sorted out in you. You need to open the door of your life to
1: me. And it is as we obey at that point that we turn and come to Christ. John said, How can we be sure that we belong to him? By obeying his commandments. If someone says, I know God, but does not do what he says, that person is a liar. The truth has no place in them. Paul, in one of his letters, a letter to his friend Titus, spoke of people who
0: claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. Every single person one of us here is a sinner. Failing the standards that God sets for us. Every
1: single one of us here is so much loved by God you can't believe it. And God sent his son Jesus to be our
0: personal
1: saviour. So if there are any who have not yet turned. Person, you know whether you've done it or not. You've not turned round from going your own way. Anyone here who who still feels that they haven't yet somehow started to know God personally. I want to um, invite you to do two things. Number one, we're going to pray in a moment, and I'm going to pray um, a prayer that would simply express what you might be wanting to say and what you certainly need to say to the Lord in turning back to him. And then... The second thing is, after we've sung our final um, song, hymn, in a moment, Again said, there's coffee and there's a bookstall and there's plenty of time to chat and milk. In that time, I shall hang around here. Come and and ask me for a little booklet. I have some that simply have the title of of today's talk, Knowing God, Personally. And uh, I think it would be useful for you to have this. Um, It contains the little prayer that I'm going to say in a moment. But it would go over these things for you when you're at home and away, and it would sort of seal it, cement it in your, in your heart and your understanding. This is what Channan did. This is what I did. This is what millions down, oh, down the centuries have done. Simply said, Lord, please, I want you. Will you come into my life, bringing forgiveness, total forgiveness, bringing friendship, bringing your loyal, faithful commitment to me for the rest of life through death and on into eternity that I might be one of your children. People have said, Lord, please do that.
0: And folk have found that he, he come. You may begin to know him personally in a way like you never have. So, let's all stand. Let's all stand. And I will simply
1: pray something like this. And if this is what you want to say, quietly make it your own. As we stand here before God, I'm going to say, Lord, sorry that I've been going my own way. We're going to thank him
0: for going to the cross for us. And we're going to ask him to take his rightful place in our lives. Let's pray. Make this your own if you've never done it before. Lord Jesus. I am sorry that I have been going my own way. Thank you for paying the price of my self-centeredness by dying on the cross. Please come now and take first place in my life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. The Nigel Lee Archive is brought to you as a podcast by Living Leadership. For more information on the Nigel Lee Archive or Living Leadership's other ministries, please visit www.livingleadership.org. God bless.